I'm Andrew Young with Young Ranch in Coleman, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas ag culture on Texas Ag Today. This is Texas Ag Today, the number one source for the latest news in Texas agriculture. The largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State covers it all. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Here's today's top stories. We'll take a look at Rio Grande Valley vegetable production coming up to kick off today's show. The Texas Tech School of Veterinary Medicine in Amarillo is about to achieve a major milestone. I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. A lizard found in parts of Central and West Texas will not be added to the Endangered Species Act. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. Now, here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Why don't you jump on in with me and buckle up? We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. Be sure to hold on tight because it all starts right now. We continue our reports today from the Rio Grande Valley along the Mexican border. This is an incredibly productive agricultural area of Texas, producing a huge number of crops, from the traditional corn and cotton to citrus, sugar, and vegetables. Courtney Schuster and her family run Rio Fresh, a fresh vegetable producing and packing company growing over 4,000 acres of produce here in the valley. You know, we're in deep South Texas, the land of two summers, some very fertile soils, some big challenges, but we've got moderate temperatures for the most part, the mildest when it comes to getting cold. So when the rest of the state is seven degrees, we're still hovering around freezing and it really helps us pull through those winter months and maintain a good supply on fresh produce. But while the winters here are mild, Mother Nature can sneak up on you from time to time like she did a few weeks ago. Yes, so we endured a freeze on the 16th and 17th of January. We dropped into freezing temperatures 27 for about eight hours the first night and a couple hours the second night. So that definitely created some challenges for us, really stressed out all of our crops. And that was followed by a few days of rain and a lot of high moisture. So a lot of disease fighting as well, but things are bouncing back nicely and we're happy to have sunny weather at the moment. The single biggest issue we've been hearing about this week is the availability of irrigation water. This entire area is totally dependent on water from the Rio Grande River. But that situation is so dire right now that valley farmers don't even know if they'll have enough water to plant a crop this year. It is very hot here and our water supply is our lifeline. It's our lifeblood. It's crucial to our crop production. We have a ton of farming acreage down here. We supply a lot of the state through the winter months with greens, onions, watermelon. So really an important part of our state and our country's food supply. A lot of districts in our region are already in a position where there is no irrigation water for farmers. So they received zero allocation for water and were not able to plant anything. Our district fortunately was not in that position, 
but we are talking about that next year. The reservoirs are at an all-time low. We have not gotten the rain we need, and we are currently in a water treaty with Mexico that they are not really upholding their part of. Frankly, it is hurting us very badly, and you know, next year we're looking at the possibility of not being able to plant vegetables at all. That's Courtney Schuster with Rio Fresh, producing over 4,000 acres of produce here in Deep South Texas. This trip was a big change of pace for many of the farmers and ranchers on our tour. John Griffith is a cattle and hay producer from East Texas. He says Rio Grande Valley agriculture is very different from his home back in the Piney Woods. I didn't know what we were going to get into, of course, whenever... The, the opportunity to come to to South Texas or to the border, the first thing on your mind is, well, the issues that we're facing here. But once we arrived, it was such a, an eye-opening opportunity when we started our, our tour there at Lone Star Citrus. There, the producers have been so uh, welcoming, but they have also been eager to express their concerns that they have, especially with the water issues, labor issues, which are a lot of issues that, that we face in, in our part of the state as well. But just the, the tours that we've made the last couple of days have just been phenomenal. It has been a learning experience. The, the, the generosity, the outpouring of welcomeness that, that each of the producers that we've talked and visited with has been, has been rewarding to be a part of, of the Farm Bureau organization to represent them. Griffith says learning about the water shortages that valley farmers face was a highlight of the tour. He comes from an area of Texas that usually receives ample rainfall. We have been blessed. Uh, just in the last month or so, we've had about 14 inches of rain. Uh, we're expected to have rainfall again this weekend. But we have, we do see some dry spells during the summer there. Last summer was extremely dry. Of course, we had a lot of, of hot weather as well. But it's just, it, it just tears at your soul to know what these producers face, that their livelihood is so dependent upon the water release and even into future crops that they're so dependent that, that they're going to be limited in their production if they don't get a release of water or if they don't get a natural event such as a rainstorm, a tropical event, or a hurricane or something to that effect. And it all comes back to the 1944 Water Treaty with Mexico. The U.S. has met its obligations of the treaty, but Mexico refuses to release water to the U.S. Griffith hopes to tell that story and help make a difference for Rio Grande Valley farmers. We've learned some insight that the connections or the meetings that we have the opportunity to have and conduct, not only on a state level, but on a federal level, that we can help encourage more talks, encourage more uh, information to be received, maybe to spark better negotiations or maybe to help with an impasse in the current situation that we have down here. For now, farmers and ranchers here in the valley are hoping for a tropical storm this summer that can refill the reservoirs and allow them to keep the water flowing to their farms. The Texas Tech School of Veterinary Medicine in Amarillo is about to achieve a major milestone. James Hunt has the story. Coming up on March 17th, the Texas Tech School of Veterinary Medicine in Amarillo will conduct its first ever white coat ceremony, with 62 students from the school's inaugural class having earned the right to wear those white coats during their fourth and final year in the program. 
Guy Lana Reagan is the dean of the Texas Tech Vet School. The white coat really does symbolize the transition from the classroom to the clinic. So they are moving from being a student to being a clinician. And that is a right that is seen across medical schools, veterinary medicine and human medicine. And really the white coat ceremony is the representation that we are now no longer looking at you as a student in the classroom or the lab, but we're looking at you as becoming that clinician in the clinics, in the hospitals, treating the animals, working with the clients. And it comes with many additional responsibilities. First and foremost is patient care. So the students will be going into the clinics for their clinical year after their white coat ceremony. And they will begin to care for animals with practicing veterinarians across rural communities of Texas. Dr. Lana Reagan says the year-long period of clinical work will culminate with the student's graduation in May of 2025. Texas Tech is offering an opportunity for anyone who would like to support the students by helping to purchase the white coats. You can find out more about making donations by searching online with the words Texas Tech Veterinary White Coat Support. In tomorrow's report, we'll talk with Dr. Lana Reagan on the very promising job prospects for this first class of students. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A lizard found in central and west Texas will not be added to the endangered species list. Jessica Domel tells us the lizard now has a thriving population in Texas. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has decided not to add a small lizard found in parts of Texas to the list of threatened or endangered species protected by the Endangered Species Act. According to Fish and Wildlife, the plateau spot-tailed earless lizard, which was once thought to be vanishingly scarce, is now known to have several thriving populations across its historical range in the Edwards Plateau region of Central and West Texas. In 2010, Wild Earth Guardians petitioned FWS to protect the species and its two subspecies, saying the spot-tailed earless lizard populations have declined to the point where the species is nearing extinction. FWS said initially a scarcity of research on the lizard's population status made it difficult to assess the lizard's true condition. Now, after years of surveying the lizard, documenting its genetics, habitat needs, and land use in the lizard's range, FWS has decided that despite facing various stressors, the species maintains multiple resilient populations across an area comparable to its historic range. FWS says threats of habitat loss, habitat fragmentation, and vehicle collisions seem to only affect a small portion of the species, with the remaining populations demonstrating the ability to endure unpredictable events. Michael Warner with FWS said this is a prime example of how sound scientific research can guide effective conservation decisions. The plateau spot-tailed earless lizard is a small spotted lizard that can be found in the grasslands on the Edwards Plateau. Despite its name, the lizard does actually have ears. They're concealed behind skin flaps to protect it from sand and debris. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is forecasting a record drop in farm income for 2024. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and we'll dive into the numbers just ahead on Texas Ag Today. And equine infectious anemia has been found for the first time this year in Texas. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up. These stories plus a look at the markets are straight ahead on 
Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA President Amara Jackson from Michigan. What better way to show your support of FFA members than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. He always wanted to be a rodeo clown, but he had to settle for being a radio clown. Here's Carrie Martin with more Texas Ag Today. Farm income is expected to take a record drop this year. Tom Nicoletti tells why. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is projecting farmers and ranchers will experience their second consecutive year of a sizable drop in net income. American Farm Bureau Federation economists analyzed the latest USDA data in market intel. That analysis indicates agricultural producers can expect the largest recorded year-to-year dollar drop in net farm income in 2024. Income is estimated to be nearly $40 billion, that's billion with a B, lower this year compared to 2023, down more than 25%. Carrie Litkowski is an economist with USDA's Economic Research Service. Cash receipts from crop and animal product sales, which are expected to decrease $21 billion or 4% in 2024. Also, direct government payments are forecast to decrease almost $2 billion or 16%. And total production expenses are forecast to increase almost $17 billion or 4%. Net farm income is the profit farmers and ranchers see after paying for operating expenses. Two major factors are impacting income forecasts. Lower prices paid to farmers and ranchers for crops and livestock and increased costs for supplies. USDA anticipates a decrease in net farm income moving from $156 billion in 2023 to $116 billion this year. American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duval said, quote, farm families are suffering through the same economic hardships as all families in America. High inflation is making the food farmers grow more expensive to produce, end of quote. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Equine infectious anemia has been found in a Harris County horse. Dr. Bob Judd says this is the first case of EIA in Texas this year. The Texas Animal Health Commission, or TAHC, officials confirmed equine infectious anemia, or EIA, in a quarter horse on a Harris County premises January the 24th. This is the first confirmed case of EIA in Texas this year. You might not be familiar with EIA, but if you have a horse, you likely are familiar with the Coggins test, and the Coggins test is a test that tests for EIA. After regulatory testing performed to meet regulatory requirements, the horse was confirmed positive for the disease. The premises has been quarantined and will not be released until the TAHC's requirements are met. TAHC staff are working closely with the owner and local veterinarian to monitor potentially exposed horses and implement biosecurity measures. Dr. Bud Dinges, the Texas Animal Health Commission Executive Director and State Veterinarian, indicates EIA spread can easily be prevented when humans practice strong biosecurity, follow state testing requirements, and prioritize sanitary practices, especially when injecting horses. The TAHC encourages equine owners to stay diligent, 
specifically with horses that congregate or participate in events and keep equine up to date on the Coggins test. EIA is an incurable infectious viral disease spread through blood-to-blood contact, not through proximity or direct contact. The virus can be transmitted from an infected equine to an uninfected equine by blood-feeding insects such as horseflies, deerflies, or stableflies. People have played a large role in transmission in Texas by using contaminated medical equipment such as needles, IV sets, and medications. When equipment is contaminated with blood from an infected horse, it can spread the disease to healthy, unexposed horses when used again. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. We'll check the markets coming up next on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. Here's the latest market information on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures moved in opposite directions. To kick off the trading week on Monday, we closed lower in the live cattle, higher on feeder cattle. Nearby February live cattle contract down 37 cents, closing at 184.25. April down 80, 185.92, with June live cattle down 45 cents, 183.52. Nice gains on feeder cattle. March feeders up $1.67, 248.82. April feeders up $1.40, 283.17, with May feeders up $1.17, 256.85. Cash fed cattle all quiet on Monday. We wrapped up last week selling cattle here in the Southern Plains at 182. That's four bucks higher compared to the previous week. In the Northern Plains, dressed cattle sold at 285 to 290. That's nine to ten bucks higher compared to last week. Boxed beef prices higher Monday, choice up 89 cents, 294.93. With select up a dollar fifty-eight to eighty-six sixty-six. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Neighbor, my guest today is Russell Heller, Lexington Livestock Commission Company. He and his family own and operate Lexington Livestock, and they sell there in Lexington each Saturday. Russell Heller, how was last Saturday's sale? Yes, sir. Had a really good sale for February, 1,451 total head with 338 cows. Russell, walk the pins with us. Okay, the thinner packer cows, 65 to 80, and the better cows, 81 to 120. On the steering bull calves, 3 to 4 pounds, 220 to 401. 4 to 5 weights 217 to 370, 5 to 6 weights 210 to 315, 6 to 7 weights 205 to 277, 7 to 8 weights $2 to 260. On heifers, 3 to 400 pounds 210 to 360, 4 to 5 weights 205 to 315, 5 to 6 weights $2 to 260, 6 to 7 weights 195 to 240, 7 to 8 weight heifers 190 to 230. Good. What was the count? 1451. Have you gotten any moisture since you and I spoke Thursday evening? Yes, we did. Uh, Thursday night 
night, early Friday morning, it rained, and then Saturday morning, it rained again. We had 2.4 inches. Well, that's a good rain. That'll keep the ryegrass and the oats and what winter weeds and stuff are growing, growing. Do you know of anything for this next week, Russell? Yes, I do. One man's going to have about 25 calves that are weaned, and that's all that I know of so far. Well, remind these folks where you're at and how to get a hold of you. Sure. Sale starts at 12 noon at Lexington, and you can get me on my cell. That number is 979-820-7002. Russell, thanks for being on the program, and we'll touch base with you before that next sale in Lexington. Okay, thank you, Larry. You bet. Have a good day. You too. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Neighbor, I'm Larry Marble. That was Walking the Pins. Thanks so much for listening to my program. Hope to see you tomorrow. Good day. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs finish lower Monday. February hogs down 10 cents, 73.57. The April down 2, 81.12. Class 3 milk was higher. February milk up 9 cents, 16.22 a hundredweight. With March milk up 24 cents, 17.22 a hundred. Cotton closed mixed. The old crop slightly lower. New crop cotton finishing slightly higher. Those old crop contracts feeling some profit taking after the big surge in the cotton market last week. We finished with the March contract down 125 points, 90.53. May cotton down 92 at 91.30, while new crop December was up 8, 83.30 cents. Corn finished slightly higher, but we're still sitting at three-year lows in the corn market. March corn up one and a half, four thirty and a half. May up a penny, four forty-two and a half. With September corn up one, four fifty-eight and three quarters. In the wheat market, hard wheat finished lower Monday, while soft wheat was mixed. March Kansas City wheat down two and three quarters, five ninety-eight and three quarters. New crop July down four and three quarters at 5.89 a bushel. Chicago wheat March contract up three quarters 4.97 and a half. New crop July down three quarters at six dollars and a quarter cent. In the energy markets, March natural gas was down nine cents at a dollar 74. March West Texas crude up nine at 76.93 a barrel. The financial markets were mixed Monday afternoon. The Dow up 125 points at 38,797. The Nasdaq down 48, 15,942. The S&P down 4 at 5,021. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A, Texas agriculture. Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. Be sure to follow the Texas Ag Today podcast found wherever you listen to podcasts. For more Texas farm and ranch news, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.